What's up, guys? Before today's story, I'm going to talk to you about a street cat. This so-called street cat is actually a statue we made in kindergarten. It was yellow with brown polka dots, and it held a fish in its paw. They placed it in a park near the kindergarten and made it, and it had been there for the past, say, eight or nine years. Every time we passed by, we would see it standing there. We would take a selfie with it every single time, but today it was gone. Emily and I walked, and Emily and I were walking home after my orchestra practice when we passed by the park. Emily told me to get my phone ready so we could take the selfie. It had been this way for almost ten years, so I, auto- I automatically did so without a moment of hesitation. But when we came up to the spot where the cat had always been, we stopped dead in our tracks. Where was it? We looked around to see if it had been moved, but it was gone. So we took a sad selfie with the empty spot where it used to be and left. After I got home, I found all of the pictures we'd taken and put them all together. When we when we looked. Then we looked at each photo over the years. I noticed that in the very first picture, the cat the cat was still quite new, but in the last one, there was a hole in its head, and it had changed quite a bit, dirtier, older, and partly injured. It would be nice if I could see it one more time. Dumbarton, by Ginger John, Chapter Three. The stars shone in the night sky, with the moon hanging there like a gem- gemstone in a pile of silver glitter. A piece of dark cloud drifted slowly over the moon and covered it completely, then floated away again. I lay there and watched the stunning view. "Hey, Avery, what are you doing up there?" I sat up and looked down. Monica was looking up at me, a dazed expression on her face. I was sitting on the rooftop of the Orange Star Orphanage. Thinking, I replied, but it's dangerous up there. I know. Monica kept silent for a while. I, tilt- I tilted my head and looked back at the night sky. I shivered. The air was freezing. Can I come up? Then maybe we can have a normal conversation. Asked Monica. Sure. Well, can you help me up? I carefully slid down the roof, keeping my feet on the shingles so I wouldn't lose my balance. I reached my hand down at Monica, and then she grabbed it. Grabbed it. I pulled her. I pulled her up, and she cautiously climbed up the roof with me. She almost slipped, but I grabbed her just in time. How is this so easy for you? Monica asked with a chuckle as we sit, settled down on the spot with the best view. I mean, climbing up a roof, jumping down a two-story window, lifting people the same size as you. Not all people can do that. My parents say I'm gifted. I said, and I don't take it for granted. Monica sighed and turned to me. I don't want you to leave, she said, her voice breaking. I know you don't. You know you don't have to, right? They can't force you to leave. They're adults, Monica. Not just any adults. Children experts. I said. I'm not saying I want to leave. It's just I think it's better if we listen to them. They know what they're doing. Monica dried her tears with her sleeve, exhaled deeply. But I promise to visit. I pledged. Every night, if you want, I, you can sneak up here every night, and I'll be here. 
Monica giggled. You want me to climb up this roof every night without your help? Impossible. I giggled too. Please? All right, I'll try. She rolled her eyes and gave me a smile. I hugged her, and we watched the stars together in silence. I wanted this moment to last forever. Honestly, I didn't know if I'd made the right the choice. Choice. I didn't want to leave the Orange Star Orphanage. I didn't want to leave Monica. But Mr. and Mrs. Keller said they were sure it would be better if I moved in with my adoptive father. They said he was a nice person. Maybe it was better if I were a part of a family. It was right before lunchtime. We were still out in the garden, but nobody was having fun. There were only a few more hours until I had to leave or the Orange Star Orphanage and start a new life. But it wasn't a few hours that I could enjoy. I had been here half a year, and all that was about to be erased. It was very hot today, even though it was winter. The sun was burning us as we all just sat there. I can't believe this is really happening," Monica said, slumping against the wall. We were sitting side by side on the grass. Me neither," I answered. My voice was a hoarse whisper. I watched the ants move swiftly before me, disappearing into a small crack in the wall next to Monica. Caleb stood up and picked up a, a ball sitting in the middle of the lawn. He bounced it against the ground twice and set it on the grass with his foot placed on it. Come on, guys! If Avery has to leave in a few hours and never come back, we should embrace that and have fun during these few hours. I nodded and sat up straight, grinning and fighting through the sad, overwhelming feeling. I needed to be happy for the next few hours. Caleb is right, I said. He passed the ball to me, and I threw it high in the air. Let's have fun. At least we'll have a nice memory of this moment, and not us all feeling sorry for ourselves. Monica beamed as well. She scrambled up and tried to slap the ball out of my hands, but I dodged and shot. The ball sailed through the air above everybody's heads and landed in a hoop on the wall. The others cheered and the game started. Caleb kept count of the scores, setting for the refer- settling for the referee, since he didn't have talent in sports. Everyone was grinning from year to year. Mrs. Merriam's head popped out from the kitchen window. She yelled at us for making so much noise. We're sorry, Mrs. Merriam. We all said together. She gave us a dirty look and went back to making lunch. We laughed and continued playing. It was the best game of my life at the Orange Star Orphanage. I won 14 points for my team. We took a break and drank some water from the drinking fountain. It was old, so old that it was coated with moss, and. It always leaked whenever it was turned on. Avery, will you help me with this? Monica asked, pointing at the fountain. I can't turn it on. Maybe it's broken. I leaned forward and examined it closely. I don't see anything. Before I could finish my sentence, Monica turned on the water and drenched my face. I staggered back. My face, hair, and the top of my shirt were wet. The others all ooed and laughed. Monica had a mischievous grin on her face. I chuckled and dried my face with the dry parts of my shirt, wiping the water away from my eyes. Without a word, I grabbed the hose from the corner and soaked Monica with it, laughing. Water fight! 
the others hooted with laughter, and all of a sudden we were all spraying each other with water. I turned the water all the way up and spun around in circles, sprinkling everyone. I kicked off my shoes and set them aside where it was dry, running around barefooted. The water was cool and I felt the wet grass under my feet. Water was shooting out from the hose. It slipped from my hands and dropped to the floor, and due to the power of the water, it went twirling around on the ground. I struggled to pick it up and put it back under control, but it just drenched me even more. Everybody was dissolving into laughter. I saw Mrs. Miriam shouting from the kitchen window again, but I didn't care. The sound of the water drowned out her shouts. Nobody heard her. We were having too much fun to hear her. Suddenly, from the corner of my eyes, I spotted a car driving down the street. It stopped right in front of our front gate, and two people stepped out of it. The colors. My heart sank to my stomach. It was time. I'll buy some more time, I thought, breathing heavily. I'll tell them I haven't finished packing. They pushed open the gate, shielding their faces with their hands to avoid getting wet. I turned off the hose. What? Monica asked. She turned around and saw the killers. Oh, they're here. The others immediately quieted down and looked their way. What are you children staring at? Mrs. Keller cried. And Avery, why aren't you packed yet? Why are you all wet? Mr. Keller asked. We were only playing, Monica said. You know, like normal kids do. Mr. and Mrs. Keller ignored her and fixed their gaze on me. Are you ready to leave? I threw the hose to the ground aggressively and stomped upstairs. I was beginning to regret making the decision to leave. It wasn't too late to tell them I wanted to stay, though. The second floor was a mess. We didn't bother cleaning it up yesterday. Mrs. Miriam, for whatever reason, didn't come up to wake us up today, which was very unusual. She was probably too busy celebrating my departure. Monica and the others came in after me. Stay, Avery, Monica pleaded. Please. I hesitated, stuffing my things into my suitcase. I don't know. You know you want to, Caleb chimed in. We were having so much fun. I do want to stay. Then do it. I looked up at Monica. She gave me a nod. Okay, I said, but what am I going to tell them? Monica smiled. I'll come with you if you want. I smiled back at her and rushed to the window. My plan was to make the Kellers think I was stubborn and uncivilized so they would somehow lose faith in me and think I wasn't worth their time. I leaped out the window and landed on my feet right before them. They didn't seem to be shocked, though. I thought a little girl jumping down a two-story window would shock them, but it didn't. Never do that again, Avery, Mr. Keller said, writing something on his clipboard. Yes, it is impolite and could sometimes scare particular people, Mrs. Keller agreed. I found it strange that they didn't mention it was dangerous. Where is your luggage? She's not going. I turned and saw the others standing behind me. Monica in the front was standing straight and still. Her hair was still wet and damp, sticking to her face. Avery is staying here with us. I don't want to leave everything I have here behind, even if that means I'll have to deal with Mrs. Miriam, I said firmly. This is my life. Mr. Keller walked closer to me. We are not 
begging you to come with us, he growled. We are ordering you. I scoffed. You can't force me to leave. We spent a long time searching for the right adoptive father for you, Avery. Then all I can say is I'm sorry you did all the work for nothing. Mrs. Keller shook her head. Your adoptive father is al- already your adoptive father already signed the paperwork to adopt you, Avery. There's no turning back. But I never agreed to leave, I exclaimed. Do not give me attitude. I exhaled, trying to calm down. There was no way these people from the child care agency could just force me to leave and take me away, right? But we were just children. It was our word against theirs. I had no other choice but to follow them. Pack your bags and meet us in the car, said Mr. Keller. Everybody watched as I walked quietly into the house and upstairs again, head down, a sad expression on my face. Mrs. Miriam was still in the kitchen, unaware that the Kellers were already here and I was about to leave the Ornstar Orphanage forever. I gave the hallways one last glance before I went into the bedroom and jammed the rest of my belongings in the suitcase. I ran my fingers over the bed, though I had had several nightmares and had tossed and turned countless times on it, unable to fall asleep. I, snew- I still knew I would miss it. I would certainly meet, miss these seven months of my life. The Kellers were yelling for me to come down. I looked around one last time, knowing I would never come back here again. My luggage in my hands, I walked down the stairs slowly. Mrs. Miriam saw me from the kitchen. Hey, where do you think you're going? I dragged my things to the front door and opened it. Out? What? Mrs. Miriam followed me outside, seeing the colors in the flooded lawn. Drenched children standing around. Two agents from the child care agency waiting impatiently and a sad girl. A very sad girl. Mrs. Miriam was surely confused. She's leaving now? Already? She cried, waving her hands around. Yes, ma'am, Mr. Keller said. Avery Gray will be coming with us. Mrs. Keller opened the car door for me. I turned back to my friends and stared at them. Monica had tears in her eyes. Caleb was waiting, waving goodbye at me. Go on, child, Mrs. Keller said, motioning for me to get in. I took a deep breath, gave my friends one last look, and slid into the back seat of the car. Mr. Keller got into the driver's seat with Mrs. Keller by his side. The car started moving forward and began driving away. I set my luggage aside and looked out at the Orange Star Orphanage. My friends were all waving at me. Buckle your seatbelt, Avery, Mrs. Keller said. I obediently sat down and buckled my seatbelt, as she said. I don't need to be sad, I told myself. I'll be back tomorrow, tomorrow night. I'll be sitting on the roof there with Monica. Everything will be okay. We drove for about half an hour and got to the child care agency building. People dressed neatly were walking in and out of the building. I saw a little boy, one who was much younger than me, entering the building with one of the workers. He looked terrified and lost. Mr. Keller drove down to the B2. Which, were the, which was the parking lot, and parked in a space between two cars that looked exactly the same as his. In fact, every single car in the parking lot was identical. 
I opened the door carefully. The gap between Mr. Keller's car and the one next to it was very narrow. The Kellers got out of the car, and I spotted something on the driver's seat. It was Mr. Keller's clipboard. I looked around to make sure they weren't watching, and I read the notes he had taken. November 24th, Ornstar Orphanage. Monica Cardona, age 13, friends with Avery Gray. That was weird. The fact that Monica was friends with me didn't seem relevant. I flipped the paper and read the next page, searching for my name. It was on the very bottom, the very last name. Avery Gray. Special. I couldn't take my eyes away from the word. Special. How in the world was I special? Maybe it was because all my friends back at at the orphanage mentioned that Mrs. Marion was treating me differently. That was the only reason I could think of. Avery, what are you doing? I heard Mrs. Keller calling from outside. Mr. Keller opened the car door and snatched his clipboard away from me. Let's go meet your adoptive father, he said, acting like nothing happened. I got out of the car and Mrs. Keller locked the doors. I followed them to the elevator and went up to the seventh floor, which I assumed was where they worked. The cool air welcomed us, and the elevator door slid to the sides, showing us inside. Next to each desk where the agents worked, there were a couple of chairs, and in some of them sat young children. The workers were asking them questions and typing things down on their computers. The colors brought me to their seats. They sat next to each other on the corner of the room, in the corner of the room, with Mr. Keller on the left and Mrs. Keller on the right. I settled into the chair in between them. Mrs. Keller checked her computer. Your adoptive father will arrive soon, she said. Until then, please take a rest and make yourself comfortable. I closed my eyes and focused on my breathing, calming myself down. My heart was beating a mile a minute. A few minutes from now, my new life would start. Though I was only 13, I felt like I had already lived two lives. One with my parents, one at the Orange Star Orphanage, and one was just beginning. Lucky girl, I heard someone say. I opened my eyes and saw two workers sitting three desks away. I heard Mr. George Peterson adopted her. With a billionaire like him for an adoptive father, maybe she'll turn out to be a snob like most of the rich children. Mr. George Peterson, I thought, my head spinning, my adoptive father. The elevator dinged softly, but to me it was like the sound shot from the elevator to my chest and my muscles tightened. I gripped the handle of the chair tightly, and there was a crack. It broke, just like last time. This time I broke plastic with my bare hands. Mr. Peterson, welcome. Please, we'd like you to meet your adoptive daughter. I turned to face the elevator just in time to see the killers lead a man toward me. They stopped right in front of me. I looked up at them, my mind empty. This is Avery Gray, Mrs. Keller said, introducing me. Avery, this is Mr. George Peterson, your adoptive father. Mr. Peterson reached his hand out for me to shake, but I didn't shake it. My breath caught in my throat and I couldn't breathe. I sat I sat there while Mr. Peterson signed some paperwork for the colors, head down, staring blankly at my hands. 
After a while, we said goodbye to the colors and walked down to the parking lot together. Mr. Peterson's car was very normal, not like a billionaire's car. In fact, it was more like a truck they used in the countryside. I guess I was expecting a fancy sports car or just something more expensive. The truck was blue and glazed. I could see clearly inside through the glass of the windows. We both got inside and he started the engine, driving out of the parking lot, then out onto the streets. Why doesn't he smile? Why does he look so solemn and serious, I thought. Does he even like me? Mr. Peterson just kept on driving, not saying a word, not playing the radio, just letting us drown in the wrath of silence. Why don't you like me, I blurted out. Mr. Peterson glanced at me in the rearview mirror. I don't not like you. So you do like me? I didn't say that either. For the rest of the ride, neither of us said a word. Soon, a villa came into view. It had a red roof with a chimney sticking out. The door was navy blue and the walls were white. Two windows on either side of the door was neatly polished glass. The house was surrounded by a big garden with several trees and bushes. Burning red apples and other fruits hanging from, hung from the treetop just begging to be picked. Mr. Peterson pulled into the garage and got, of, got out of the truck. The garage was very tidy. It was painted yellow and blue, and posters of musical instruments were glued to the walls. Mr. Peterson must love music. I pushed the truck door open nervously and stepped outside. Mr. Peterson flicked off the lights and led me into the house. Make yourself comfortable, Avery, Mr. Peterson told me. This is now your home. I didn't ask for it to be, I snapped. It was the first thing I said in my new house, and it was rather rude. Mr. and Mrs. Keller forced me to come here. I'd much rather stay back at the Orange Star Orphanage. Mr. Peterson looked hurt. He scratched his forehead and exhaled heavily. Let's show you to your new room. Whatever, I rolled my eyes. He offered to help me with my very few belongings, and as we walked, as we walked up the stairs, I can handle it, I barked. I didn't get why everyone thought children like me were so weak. My room was in the attic, but it was actually very nice and cozy. He pushed the door open, and I set my luggage aside. I walked inside and looked around. Although it was in the attic, my new room was very spacious. The walls were made of red brick and the floor was hardwood. The, door, the floor felt a little slip, slippery like it was freshly waxed. The fragrant room smelled sweet, like the mixture of scented roses and vanilla. There was even a nice little fireplace on one side of the room. The ceiling was tilted in the shape of the roof, and, the roof, and there was a little window installed on the sloped ceiling like a skylight. There was another window on the side of the wall and it looked out to the beautiful sight of the city of Orange Star. I could see every single building from here, even the Orange Star Orphanage. I assure you, this is the best view in the house, Mr. Peterson said, standing behind me as I stared in awe, and I saved it just for you. I turned to face him. But my room is empty, I said, my voice echoing in the vacant room. That's right, because 
it is because I don't know you all that well yet and I want you to pick out your own furniture. I suddenly felt bad. Really bad. Mr. Peterson was so nice to me and I was so rude. He didn't deserve this. Thank you, I said meekly. And I'm sorry for my behavior earlier, Mr. Peterson. I just missed my friends back at the or- orphanage. Mr. Peterson gave pat- patted me on the head. It's all right, Avery. All is forgiven, he replied. And please, call me George. I smiled at him. He was going to make a great father. At least he was. he would make a great adoptive father. After I finished admiring the view, George gave me some new clothes to wear, since mine were old and ragged. They were made of silk, and they looked very expensive. The clothes were soft against my rough skin, and I felt like a princess. George took me out to his truck again. He told me we were going shopping for my furniture. We arrived in less than 20 minutes, and when we did, we, I saw that the customers coming in and out of the shopping center were all dressed neatly in garments of famous brands. They were the rich part of Orange Star, the Orange Star town, and now so was I.